Hey, sugars. Happy New Year. I know it's been a hot minute since you've heard from me. I'm going to be honest. I've been a little bit in the holiday holiday blues a little bit. I think just 2017 was a hard year for me um, and for just for a lot of reasons, honestly, financially, friends' health, family's health, um, other friends' uh situations. It was just, it was just a, it was just a hard year. And I kind of, I didn't even want to put up Christmas this year, which is so not like me. So, and you know, Sophie, my dog died. So it's just, it's been a hard year that this, I don't mean to bring it down. The whole point of this is, is that I've really been telling myself, ah, it's been two or three weeks. I need to post a show and I have content to post. And I was reminded by, um, this interview that I have today with Corey, uh, and, it's truly an inspiring video and listening to kind of his story and how he kind of really has um, just kind of said fuck fear and kind of jumped into it and embraced it. When I was re-editing this, it made me honestly hopeful again for the new year that that happened. And then also just the fact that uh, I didn't go to Oklahoma to see family for Christmas this year because my mother's retiring. So she, uh, we had, I came home later this year, and it was so great for me to come home and see my family. And it honestly feels like a weight has been lifted a little bit because a lot of the work that I'm trying to do and the hustle that I'm trying to do in Los Angeles, and I know I have first world problems, y'all. Hashtag first world problems. But I was telling my boyfriend, I said, you know, it was so so good for me to come home because I remember why a lot of the reasons why I'm doing why what I'm fighting for what I'm hustling for it's to spend more time with my family to help provide provide for my family to help take care of my parents to help you know you know I want to be that uncle that you know my nephew wants to go to grad school and I pay for it you know I want to do those things for my family and um and they're so supportive of myself and of my boyfriend, and they love us both so much, and it just, it, you can't help but not be grateful. So I know a lot of people right now in the holidays, are they're over, but they're still, they're sometimes still reeling with just a lot of hurt, or a lot of confusion, or a lot of loss, or frustration, and if you're still kind of swimming in that, find support, truly find the people that just make you feel good. So for some people, that's their family. I'm lucky that it's my family. For some people, it's not your family. And for some people, I know with some of my therapist clients, I'm like, nah, your parents or your brother or your sister or your husband, though, those people, those people are toxic to you. And so I encourage you, if you're feeling like you have nothing to kind of fight for and um, work towards them, find a tribe, find the people who do support you, who are who are wanting to fight the fight with you and are there to back you up. Because I know that that has made all the difference in my new year. And I really feel a weight has been lifted and I'm ready to start 2018. And I feel hopeful and I feel joyful and I feel um, inspired by, honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, by the love that I've received. And therefore, you can't you can't share your love if you don't feel like you're getting it, you know? And not that I wasn't getting in LA. I have great friends in LA, but it, there's something different about coming home to your family who don't understand the life you're living, the artist life, the actor life. They're like, okay, I don't get it, but we love you. We encourage you. We want you to, you know, do your all and be the best you can be. And that's, that's just downright inspiring sugars. So 
on that note, between that and re-editing and listening to this interview of Corey, Mama, Mama's on a high. Uh, we recorded this, and when there was a little bit of technical difficulties, and we switched recordings in the ha- in the halfway through, so you're going to hear like a little bit of a probably a change in audio. So bear me bear with me on that. In the first few minutes, it does get better. So on that, so and I apologize for that. I've got new shows coming out for 2018. Um, wait. You know, I, Mama had a little break, but now Mama's back. So, I the, again, this is the kind of center of my heart space, the Dear Maddie show, and I love this show so much. And um, here's to a wonderful 2018, and I hope you enjoy myself and Corey. All right. We're recording. What? what? Hello, everybody. It's a podcast. Welcome to the Dear Maddie show. It is, um, it is a, we are, I feel like, I feel like that everything for the holidays is starting to wind down, thankfully. Today's like my last day of all the craziness, but something to help me kind of ground me is doing this show and talking to people that are passionate about things in their life and that want to help other people. And one of those people is my guest today, Corey Poirier. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm super stoked to be here. Oh yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be here. So, our boy, well, I'm happy to. I'm just happy. To, I'm like be here. Of course, I'm happy to be alive. So, Corey Poirier from from Conversations with Passion Radio Show, a podcast that I've been a guest on. That um, I think is a cool thing just to invigorate and inspire people. And uh, Corey, tell everybody. Tell everybody, first of all, we met at Podcast Movement, right? Yeah, absolutely. At the PMX. Uh, day that they had the the day before the conference sort of kicked off, uh, but still part of the conference. So yeah, that's where we met. Absolutely. Yes, that is how we met. And um, the reason why, um, you know, you asked, I, you asked me to have a conversation on your show, which I did. And um, But even before that, the reason why I wanted to have you on my show is because uh, I, um, I love supporting people's passions. I think a lot of times, sometimes, People get defined by being a mother or a father or, or they're a job or, you know, sometimes people can get defined, out, defined by, I mean, what different things in their community. Um, um, but a lot of times people don't get related, I feel like, to their passions. And I feel like you help bring that out. So tell my listeners a little bit like what you do. And I mean, because you, well, yeah, just tell them what you do and, and, and kind of how you got involved in this. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I, as you just kind of alluded to as well, Matt, I strive to help people find their why or their passion or their purpose or their calling. So I'll say whatever name they want to put on it, uh, I help them find it. So what is that thing that they were designed to do? Uh, let's say their genius zone. Uh, so I help people do that. And then the secondary thing I do is help them get visibility to do so. So help them how, to, for example, how to communicate more effectively, how to do so from a stage how to get media visibility as well. So really focused around helping people find their genius owner why, and then helping them as well figure out how to get that to an audience that wants to hear about it. When, how did you get to that place personally? Like, have you, have you all, were you, what's your background? Are you a therapist or you're a motivational speaker or like, or were you like, in a job like, I, I don't know, I mean, you know, working in accounting or, or a lawyer or something that you just didn't care about. Well, those are great jobs if you want to do it. But were you flipping burgers? I don't know, something you just, you didn't want to do? What was like, was there a moment, Corey, where you had kind of this personal choice of, I want to pursue my passion? Or were you always, 
were you able to kind of hit the ground running? You've always were going towards that. Uh, so the answer is uh, the last part I'm going to say no to. And, uh, and I say that, I mean, no, I didn't hit the ground running right away. And I will say that I was probably about 27, if I have my math correct, the almost the day I discovered or at least started to find my passion. So I lived the first 27 years of my life. I won't say passionless. I was definitely a happy person overall, but I also was very pessimistic. I, I've shared this in the past, but I battled hypochondria. Uh, and for people that don't know what that is, I started out as generalized anxiety and essentially hypochondria. There's actually a great scene in the movie, uh, I think it's called The Change Up or The Switch with Jason Bateman and uh, Jennifer Aniston there. They actually father, he fathers a child for her, but neither of them know it. And uh, and the son is, uh, says, basically, he said, uh, Jason was telling him about hypochondria and the kid has it too. They both have it. And uh, Jason explains it. And he says, it's when you think you uh, have every different disease. And the son says, hey, that's what I have. So <laughs> that's kind of, that was what I did. Uh, so basically, essentially anything I read about or heard about the symptoms I started developing. So I battled that early in my life. And why I bring this up, uh, Matt, is because what I discovered is you can't be an optimist and a person filled with passion and also a pessimist who's also filled with doom and gloom that the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to get this disease and not going to make it. And so I know for a fact that I was more pessimist than optimist until about 27. And in terms of where the rubber hit the road, how did I start finding it? I had already been in business and in sales for a lot of years. And that's important because obviously that relates to being a business speaker and trainer. But all right, everybody, we're back. For you listening, we had a technical difficulty. Difficulty. It probably sounds better now. Um, thanks to Corey because I, I don't do tech shit, but Corey Poirier is on it. So thank you. So we're back, Corey. So, okay. So I asked you, I, I was asked you, I wanted to know how you kind of got into this. And I'm going to ask you to, like you were telling this most incredible story that I want people to hear. Tell everybody about how you kind of realized getting over your fear and like how you kind of meandered or found your, you found how you found your own passion. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So it, it definitely isn't the, the norm. I know that because when I've shared this story to other speakers even, and the speaking is my passion. I'm sure we'll circle back to that. But uh, when I've shared this story to other speakers, they're like, whoa, dude, I, I don't even know if I would have continued on because uh, it's definitely a different path. So for me, I had a, a stage play in a fringe fest. And one, uh -huh. of, the, one of the things that I'll, I'll share is that uh -huh. I guess even before the stage play in the fringe fest is that I wasn't a very uh, optimistic or positive person. So uh -huh. And I knew that because um, I found my, uh, I had battled anxiety, I battled hypochondria. And the day I knew that there was a change was whenever I found my passion because a lot of that negativity disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so how that started was I was invited to a stand-up comedy workshop at a university. Uh, the person that invited me was an actor in the play that I had written and directed. Terrified of the stage. Uh, I wrote a part for myself where I was, my back to the audience. I was wearing a wig. I had a, a Triple H wrestling shirt on. <laughs> I didn't want to be identified. So I was terrified of being in front of a, an audience and facing them. But I, also, I said you're like Sia, the singer, like Sia. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, the thing is, is for me, I believed in the art. I believed in the craft. I loved entertaining. I loved entertainment, but I was just terrified of facing an audience. And yeah. so what happened was one of the actors just in his infinite wisdom said, hey, I heard about this comedy workshop. Did you want to give it a go? 
And I know that's the, the number one fear in the world is stand-up comedy. Well, I'll, I'll say it's public speaking. You know, in statistics, mm -hmm. they say it's above death. Uh, so yeah, it, it is. It is. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you ever heard this, Matt, but Seinfeld, uh, what he said in one of his comedy uh, bits is that what that means is that for the average person, if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Yes, yes. And so stand-up, the reason I said number one fear of stand-up is because it's way higher than public speaking. The reason that they don't put it up there is because it's just it's so, such a small percentage will ever do it, they don't measure it. It's easier to measure speaking because more people have tried it. But when I found that, when I've told people I've done stand-up before, I don't think of it as a, I mean, it was, it was nerve wracking to do it at first, but when I told people, oh yeah, I do stand up comedy and they're like, wow, I agree with you. Cause their face like drops and they're like, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. And you know, when you say I speak in public, people do go, oh, I couldn't do that. But they don't yeah. say, just what you just said is the key thing. The difference is they don't, their face doesn't drop and they don't say, I don't know how you did that. They just say, I couldn't do that because with speaking, they might not be able to do it, but they understand sort of how you could do it and, and how you could force yourself or push yourself to do it, but uh -huh. stand-up is a whole other beast. And so you can imagine, if I was terrified of facing the audience, stand-up, I mean, that was just out of my realm of thinking. But going to a workshop, I can do that like a boss. Just because you go to a mm -hmm. workshop doesn't mean you're ever going to get on a stage. So mm -hmm. what happens, I went to this workshop, the guy that was putting it on, very experienced comic, but all he really told us in the workshop was, here's how you adjust the mic stand, and he walked us through that. And so the third week we were excited about because we were told we were going to see uh, entertainers, people entertaining us at a local uh, local nightclub. Mm -hmm. so we go to the show, 15 of us that attended the workshop. Now these people attended and paid for the workshop, showed up. We're waiting for the entertainers. We're super excited to be run our little clinic and study what they did right and wrong. And then we find out five minutes to show time when one of us asked, hey, where are the comics? The guy turned and looked at us and said, hey, you're looking at them. So, oh, my God. His big game plan, I think, was if I don't tell them, then they're already there. Then I'll find out who's really going to do this and who isn't. Talk and, about throw you in the pool. Yeah, well, and here's the part that, again, probably will interest you, uh, interest you Matt, is most of these people were actors, performers, had fringe play uh, hits. And out of those, so 15, and I'm going to say I was one of the least uh, experienced actor or entertainer, I went to the bathroom to try to find an exit window that didn't exist. I came back in, and of the 15 that actually took the workshop in stand-up and paid, eight had already gone at the front door. Wow. So that, that kind of puts in perspective, more than 50% left. And so now the new debate, of course, there's seven of us left, who's going to go up first? Because nobody wants to be a sacrificial lamb. And so for me, I went to a Toastmasters meeting, and for people listening, uh, if you're not familiar with Toastmasters... Oh, no, I've talked about Toastmasters. Okay, perfect. On the show. Great. Yeah, so essentially, I went to a Toastmasters meeting, and all I learned there, or all I took from it, I learned probably more, is uh, if you're going to face a fear like speaking, go up first. Don't watch other people sweat it out. So I figured stand-up must be the same. So I jumped on the stage, grabbed the mic, told my the best joke I could muster up in five minutes, and it bombed. Like, sweat was coming down my face. Um, <laughs> and then, so I was like, okay, well, I'm already up here. In my head, I said, I'm already up here. I did the hard part. So I dived into the second joke, which... It wasn't as strong because it was my second best joke. And this time, not only did it bomb, I jokingly have said, I think I saw a tumbleweed go by the stage. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of magic happening up there. Um, I heard, you know, they say uh, the cricket in the back of the I heard the cricket. I could spot him. And so it was bad. It was, I was a mess. And then finally, the guy that got us into this whole thing calls me over, corner of the stage. He gives me a little smuck in the back of the head. And he says, you idiot, we haven't even turned the mic on yet. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it wasn't for me to talk. Yeah. You have to do it again. 
it wasn't funny to me at the time. Now it's funny laughing, uh, looking back, but you're right. So what happened was I thought, and here's the funny part about it. I thought, okay, the only reason the jokes didn't go over is because they didn't hear them. So I, I was so excited. <laughs> I got a new chance to recapture them. We explained that the mic wasn't on, told the jokes. They totally bombed again. They, it, just, <laughs> it, was like, it was like a retake. It was like Groundhog Day. <laughs> happened in the, the glimpse of that 10 minutes and I told the jokes the exact same way same energy same animation they bombed the same way sweat came down my face it was like a retake and uh, so basically as strange as that whole story sounds when I say the next part that was the taste of my passion so I say strange mm -hmm. because you know I bombed on the stage and, and for the FYI record I continued to go back and bomb week after week but somebody at work said dude you seem to have like this new jump in your step you seem to be happier and that's when the light bulb went off, that if five minutes of bombing on a stand-up stage could get me happy enough that somebody saw a switch in my energy, that there's got to be some hint towards what, I, what I'm meant to do or my passion or something here. And that mm. was the day it all changed. Do you think a lot of that, too, was, I mean, because you talked about, like, dealing with hypochondria and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, fear of getting sick, fear of dying, fear of failing. I mean, because even I feel like when people go up and I, cause I've worked quite a bit with actors and it is, you know, it is very similar where even though they're going to perform with somebody, a part of them, like almost like that id kind of reptilian brain feels like if I do this, I'm going to die. Like I'm not going to make it. And so was there just that power that you just push through that fear? So I feel like, cause I, I, you know, I always try to transport myself back to that moment to figure out what happened that got me on the stage. Cause I don't, I really, in a lot of ways, it still shocks me and surprises me all these years later that I did get on the mm -hmm. stage that night. And so, and, and to put it in perspective too, Matt, uh, to, to talk about how far I've come since those days, when we were, when you and I met in uh, Anaheim, I actually got a spot uh, at the improv that weekend or like during that timeline. And I had been on the stage in about nine months or more, but now I just do shows where it's gonna be a really cool show or something I've always wanted to do. And I went and, and I hadn't been on stage in nine months and I bombed again that night. But That's hilarious. The irony is, is that I was able to literally bomb and within five minutes of bombing say, you know what, dude, you, know, you remember what this is like and you know that, that this happens. I mean, it happens to the best of them. Seinfeld did a, a thing called Comedian, a documentary, where he threw all his material away and started from scratch and he was it showed him bombing night after night at these new york clubs so yeah. the, there's a comfort in for me knowing that but yeah going back to your your question about what got me over that hump i really think that that guy tricking us into going to the club and not giving us any notice and me not having enough time to think about what i was really doing to myself mm -hmm. was what allowed me to do it because i i basically said it's either now or never i kind of told myself this could be the change of your life or it could be, you know, and I'm, I already was thinking through too. I was already kind of in a bad place where I was, like I said, I had hypochondria. I was always thinking I had this or that. So I said, what do I got to lose? As long as I, you know, as long as I don't die in stage and as a hypochondriac, I'm already thinking that's possible. So mm -hmm. I basically said, I think in my mindset was, what do I have to lose? And also it's now or never. But if he would have given me a day to think about it or even an hour, that may not have happened. I may you have talked yourself out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's what happened. And the fact, and you hit the nail on the head, the fact that I survived, that was a huge thing. The fact that I survived and walked away, and even though I bombed, I still was the same person the next day, meaning I, I didn't, you know, I didn't die. I didn't lose a part of myself. In fact, I probably gained a part of myself. But that mm -hmm. was what made me go back. Once I seen that it was possible, it opened up so much of my comfort zone.
Well, it's, it's, it's truly fascinating to me and almost, it really is like a miracle to me that you come from somebody who is, um, because hypochondria, it's, it's debilitating. I think a lot of people think, oh, you just think you have, but it, it's debilitating in your social interactions. It can affect your work. It can affect you leaving your home. I mean, it's, it's a huge thing to deal with. The fact that you come from that, and now not only were you able to find that kind of passion for yourself, but like, that's your job now. Like that's, you do, so like you do a speaking program now for people of, of, of helping other people do that, right? Yeah. That's a miracle. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I have to say, Matt, um, so for me, the anxiety, it's just, I don't know, this is a weird thing to say. The anxiety was so much easier than the hypochondria because mm. the anxiety, actually, I, I was working in a high pressure sales environment. Uh, just a backstory to say how I actually feel the anxiety kind of got brought on is I moved from a little town, less, I think at the time, 3,000 people to uh, a city in Alberta and Canada with Edmonton with almost a million people at the time. And it was a culture shock. And then I was in sales. So I was getting rejected day after day after day. And all this was brand new to me. But the anxiety actually seemed to help my sales career. The mm. hypochondria did no favors at all. Because what happened then, the anxiety was, you know, it, it meant that I was, my mind was constantly going, but it meant I was always thinking about new ways to do this and new ways to do that. Mm -hmm. And the worry side, but there was also the push to success. I believe a lot of type A's have anxiety, but the hypochondria meant that I was spending a lot of time in waiting rooms. And I was so, mm. like you said about consumed, it was like I was living in these little compartments and it was like every minute was a new compartment of worry. And then you get past that minute, but you couldn't see beyond the next minute. And it, there was no kind of light at the end of the tunnel in the sense that you just couldn't, you knew that you were in some ways, or I did anyway, I knew that I, this stuff I was in a lot of ways, I knew it wasn't probably, I probably didn't have this, but I couldn't talk myself out of it. Like, so you would, let's say I, the first time was when I read about Michael J. Fox having Parkinson's at such a young age. And that was the first thing I developed. And so like thinking I had Parkinson's, so I went through MRIs, the whole gamut. Well, once the doctor gave me a clear bill and said, you have, you, there's, it's impossible, you do not have this, instantly, within a second, I jumped to a new one. So your mind logically could say, well, I thought I had Parkinson's, I didn't. Maybe I'm just dreaming this up. So there's a part of you that gets that, but there's a bigger part where you're stuck in this bubble that you can't get out of. So it was, I, the best way I can say it, it was it absolutely was all consuming, and it certainly made it hard to see past those moments. Mm. And so how did you, so talk a little bit about, I feel like a, um, I feel like a lot of people relate to you because of public speaking. People have even written into me on my show about public speaking being such a fear for them. So talk a little bit about now what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So what I do, Matt, is I have both sides to it. I have the side where I've had the questions over and over again. How do you get on a stage? How do you speak to an audience? How do you put your ideas together? The big one is how can I connect with an audience? Like how can I pull them in? How can I make sure it's going to be a hit? Which, as you know, there, there's always a variable. There's never a guarantee with speaking yeah. comedy or anything. But the people that are reaching out to me want some certainty that at least if they go in, both knowing what can happen, but also having some tools to make sure they, lim uh, let's say, reduce the amount of chances of them sort of bombing. That's yeah. what they're looking for. And then it goes all the way. So there's a full spectrum. It's all the way to the people that have been speaking for such a long time, but yet they're not getting paid to speak or they're getting paid a small fee. 
and they mm-hmm. don't know how to go to that next step of how do I get paid a fee to go into a, uh, let's say a corporate audience and speak for 45 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's from everybody saying, how do I get on a stage in the first place to somebody that can do that comfortably, but saying, and even has all the skills, but is saying, how do I get paid now to do that? So I help both mm-hmm. sides. That's, that's fantastic. And if people want to find out information on they can go to, is it coreyporier.com? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll give another thing too, if you're okay with it, Matt. Yeah, give it. Okay, well, I'll, this is, I'll, I'll say it two ways. I'll, I'll give. Ben. You're so Canadian, Corey. You're so polite. You're like, I'll give this if that's okay with you. People like, they're like, and I'll tell you this. <laughs> so, fine. so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, so, so what I will say is there's, uh, there's two parts to this in terms of, cause I don't want to leave people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listeners can reach out to me. You can reach out to me and say, how do you do this? But I always like to give people tools as well, just in case they're not comfortable yet doing it. I don't want to leave them empty handed. Uh, so the easier way for me to give people some tools for how I overcame and how you can overcome this I mean, obviously the stand-up, I was forced to sort of to the lions when I did that, but mm-hmm. doing that and then going in front of a corporate audience for an hour or two hours or three hours and changing their mind is a totally different thing than making yeah. somebody think, make me laugh. Two totally different things. So what, so I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll give a t- little taste, but then I'll say the best way to probably see what I did. I actually reveal it in my latest TEDx talk, uh, which oh. it's, it's about crushing your comfort zones. And so what I do is I reveal essentially here's the steps I use to expand my comfort zone. Uh, So years ago, I jumped out of a plane, even though I'm scared of heights, I surfed into Fino, even though I can't swim. And the same thing I used to conquer those fears is what I recommend people do if they want to conquer the fear of speaking. It's not a be all end all, but I will tell you, if you do this and do the whole thing, you're going to have a much better chance than somebody who just tries to jump on a stage. And what I'm driving at there, Matt, is basically in that TEDx talk, I show people, first of all, how to figure out what is in their comfort zone and what isn't. So let's say mm-hmm. outside of it, I, I take them through a graph where they're going to put speaking outside of their comfort zone. And then what they won't, they're going to do is figure out what are the small steps that it would take for you to eventually get on a stage. Rather than saying, you'll get on a stage tomorrow and here's how you overcome the fear. My experience has been when people do it small chunks and then reward themselves at each stage there's a better chance that when they can look back and see, I did the five things out of six I had to do to get on a stage and speak, they're gonna be more apt to do it. But not only that, they're gonna be more skilled because those five or six steps are gonna teach them more about the speaking business or getting on a stage than Mm -hmm. if they don't do that at all. So one example could be go to Toastmasters. That could be one of six things, for example. Yeah. So anyway, that, so in the talk, like, I think almost 18 minutes, I go through that and then I give you, I think five steps for expanding your comfort zone. That's just one of them. But basically that would be what I'd recommend to people if they want to get over the fear and just get onto the stage, watch that video. And if you take those steps, I've worked with it. I mean, I don't know the number now, but more people I've worked with that have taken those steps have been able to do whatever they're trying to do than have not been able to. I love it. And I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. So you can just click on that on your phone and a handy little link because i'm lazy and if you don't do it for me i will not i'm not lazy i'm just you know i'm not yeah i'm a little lazy all right Corey. let's uh i love this i love this i'm learning stuff about you i didn't know and i love that and let's jump into let's jump into some questions are you ready yeah 100 percent. okay great so i pulled this question because i you know i have i like i, I mentioned before the show i have a bank of questions and 
I'm, if somebody's an expert in something, I try to pull, and I felt like you were perfect for this. So this is from Vanessa, age 40, uh, 34. Sorry, dyslexia, 40, not 43, 34. Uh, Vanessa says, Dear Maddie, you often talk about your favorite first date question is what's your favorite, uh, favorite passion or what's your passion? Yes, I say that all the time, Vanessa. Ask that on a date, people. What's your passion? She said, so I tried that and it backfired on me. Oh, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> Vanessa says, mainly because of the guys I dated answered the question, but then they asked me what I was into. I drew a blank and started talking about my job, which I don't hate, but I don't love. The people are nice, but the work is boring. Now I'm feeling that I'm missing out on something I should be tapping into because, uh, but I don't know what that thing is. So this is your fault, Maddie. So please fix me. <laughs> this is from <laughs> Vanessa 34. I'm sorry, Vanessa. I didn't mean to break you. Um, but I do say that. So thank you for taking my advice, Vanessa. And, you know, maybe this will lead to a good thing. So what do you, so Corey, so that, that's a great question. And I've gotten other variations of this of people I even have a couple of friends that are kind of like going through some shit right now and they're, oh yeah, you can cuss them like the show, Corey. It's fine. Um, okay. I know that. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> a Fuck a duck. Do it. So, um, but for people that, you know, it was easy for me. I or not easy, but it was, it's actually easy for me finding a passion and not all things, but you know, I'm five years old and I see the musical Oklahoma and I know what I want to do with my life. But a lot of people don't have that experience where they're just kind of, they're 40 and they're like, ah, I just don't know what is that thing. So what do you tell someone that we've talked about for people that, you know, they want to do public speaking or they want to do this and they know they want to do it and they're just scared to do it. But what if you're in that situation, you don't even know what you're scared to, you don't even know what it is you want to do that's your passion. So how do you discover that? So the good part is that Matt, I, unlike yourself, I didn't have the Oklahoma five-year-old experience. Uh, I actually just shared my story with you that I didn't find. Yeah, you that. did, which I love. That's why, yeah. So I, I think it's fitting. Um, so here's interesting. So I guess for me, what's interesting about it is you guys heard the story now. It was a happy accident. However, mm. I'm not comfortable with saying, for me, I'm not comfortable leaving it at that. I needed to study and understand what I could have done to identify it earlier. So I had to kind of, I tried to work backwards, reverse engineer and say, what steps could I have taken to discover that speaking and even stand up were my passions earlier? Like how could I have actually done that? And so I kind of put together a little system. Uh, so I'll, I'll share this system for her, but I don't want to break her further. So hopefully, hopefully it works for her because it, it works for most people and you really don't have anything to lose because the good news is if you're trying to find your passion, you're probably doing things that you at least like anyway. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. trying new things out, but they're things that you feel could be your passion, then there's, you know, there's no bad there. So saying that, uh, I'll tell you the steps I, I share with people, and I'm going to tell you the quick version, but uh, obviously when I'm working with people, I, I, you know, it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more to it. But here's the quick version. What I would say is grab a, uh, and this was for Vanessa, right? Yeah, Vanessa. Okay, so perfect. So Vanessa and everybody else listening who's in the same situation, what I would say is grab a pen and a piece of paper. Now, I'm old school. You can grab a phone or whatever you want to do, but grab, let's, I'll just use the example, pen and a piece of paper. And then what I recommend you do is you start writing, you make a list. And what you want to start writing down is the answer to the questions like, what is it that I would do if I won the lottery? after I got back from the beach, because most people love to say they go on this big vacation and live there forever. But what I've discovered is most people would get bored after a month 
and then say, okay, what's next? And I think that's the reason that so many people retire, sadly, and pass away, even though they said, once I retire, I'm going to do this. But I think it's because they lose their identity when they retire. I, my mom was- I just, Oh, go ahead. I told my mother that. My mother, retired, my mother retired on Wednesday. And I said, she's like, I'm going to do nothing. And I said, that's great. But then she said, I'm going to give myself like just several months of kind of doing nothing. And then I'll figure out something that's fun for me to do that I really want to do. But she, that's it. She's already thinking of other stuff. And that makes me feel better because a lot of people do just retire and then they, they just stop and they die. Absolutely. Because, well, and my mother, uh, you know, I, I witnessed this firsthand. My mother was disabled at a young age, uh, carpal tunnel. She couldn't keep working in a job where she was using the computer all day. And I watched her struggle for years. And she'd be the first to tell you this. She struggled for years with not having that identity because she loved her job and she can't do it anymore. So anyway, going back to the, the story of, I, I think people need to be realistic and say, what is it I would do if money wasn't an issue? So that's why I say the lottery thing. You know, if you didn't, if you didn't have to think about money, put yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I would add in, ask yourself, what do I think I would love or like doing? Also, you can ask, what would I be good at? And I'm getting to somewhere with this, but you know, these are the kind of questions you want to ask. Um, so I'm giving you some examples so you can ask yourself these exact questions. Um, another one is, what is it that I was doing when I was a kid? Because money wasn't an issue then. I mean, I have one client who she used to teach accounting to her teddy bears. And lo and behold, she became an accountant and ran a successful accounting firm for years. And so if she wouldn't have paid attention to that hint, she may never have went in that direction. And not, and as you know, Matt, and I know, not everybody wants to teach accounting, especially, you know, to the yeah. general. So that was a big hint for her. So go back to when you were a kid. What did you enjoy doing? And, and I can tell you, that would be one of the biggest ones for me whenever I look at, uh, as a kid, what did I want to do was a great hint for what I'm doing today. And why I say that is because when you're speaking, as you know, there's a component of entertaining, component of educating, a component of all those things, and, and uh, infect, uh, affecting people, impacting people. And what I loved as a kid, I was a huge, well, I was a huge metal fan, first of all, like listening to Motley Crue and Metallica and Poison and all that stuff. And so, and I love playing guitar. And I, I, I was horrible, but my uncle taught me and I had this old beat up acoustic guitar and I just kept at it. And so here I am, whenever I was like pessimistic and all the stuff going on, who writing songs, playing music for friends, not going on stage. But that was a major hint because it has all the components of speaking and comedy and all that stuff. So the performing side. So that was a hint that I ignored. So I would have written down playing and performing with a guitar. And that would have been a big hint on my list. So that's one thing I'd ask. And then finally, um, you can ask, whenever you were on path to do something, let's say you said, I want to go to clown college, and your parents said, no, you have to go to Stanford. Well, mm -hmm. and they put, and you let them push you off your track, and then you went to Stanford and you dropped out, or you, you went and, and you're doing something now you hate because of what, you know, what happened at Stanford, like whatever you took, you're doing that for a career and hate it. So go back to that point. Why did you want to go to clown college? Because there's something big in there. So anyway, now the whole point of this was you made this list. You've asked those questions. Now you have a list of who knows the number. It could be four for some people. It could be 20 for another. And then so what I ask people to do, regardless of the list size, unless it's one or two, but if it's, say, 20, what I want you to do is now prioritize it in the order of which one makes your heart sing the most. When you're looking at that list, which one do you just get jazzed up about? So then move that to the top of the list. And the reason I say that is you might as well try to find your passion on the first one rather than trying to plow through 20. Because if the last one's your passion and you didn't reorganize them, you might quit before you get there. 
But if it's the top one, if you think it is, even if it's not, it tells you that you like it a lot. So you're not going to quit because you're going to enjoy doing it. So then the next part goes back to this, what I mentioned earlier about the TEDx talk. Now what you want to do is you have this list, you have the one on the top. What I want you to do is say, okay, is it inside or outside my comfort zone? Either way, I want you to chop it into smaller steps. And then basically, let's say it's six smaller steps. It'll take you to eventually do it. Then I want you to start taking those tiny actions, those six smaller ones. Do the first, obviously, you know, do the first one. Don't try to do multiple at once. And then I believe on this reward system. So you reward yourself after you've achieved one of those smaller steps. And then you keep doing this until you get out to that big one. And then by then, you'll be ready to take the big step. And hopefully, that first one you did was your passion. If it was, you know, you might be two or three months to find it. But at the end of the day, Matt, if you're doing something that you enjoy for two or three months, first of all, that's not a bad thing. Secondly, if you hear the statistics, something like, I mean, I've heard this number over and over, something like only 5% of people will discover their purpose or passion in their lifetime. So oh my I, think, I know, and, I, and it's, it's sad almost, they think of that. But when you think about how many people dislike their job, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And so what I would say is, if most people don't find their passion, Vanessa, and you know, you can't, you know, on, your, on the date, you're struggling to think of it, that's probably the norm. And so what I would say, if most people can't find their passion, and you spend two months doing this exercise that I mentioned, and it might take you less than that, it might take you four days, but you spend two months, isn't it worth two months to get all of the benefits? I mean, you heard my example, I, I basically got rid of hypochondria and most of my anxiety because I found my passion. Isn't it worth all the benefits that come with it if it's going to take you two months to find it? So that would be the exercise Matt I would give. And in my experience, more often than not, that will help a person find their passion. That was fucking on point. When anybody asks me this question again, I'm not even going to answer it. I'm just going to like either play a clip of that or I tell them to listen to this episode because, and also too, because I love, uh, I love, I, I'm not a fan when we give answers to these things of like, well, just search for your joy. And that's great. But abstract things, I feel like just can just overwhelm people even more. And you literally just gave such a clear definition of actual things people can do to do. Th that was like, I have goosebumps, Corey Poirier. That was freaking awesome. That was great. No, normally I try to answer the question too, but Vanessa, I'm not answering it. Just listen to Corey. He just, he just killed it. So there oh, you go. Thank you. That's so humbling, though. Either way, Matt. No, I mean it. I, that was great. I was like, damn, Mike, drop. Um, all right. Well, so let's go. We have another question. Let's go on to Laurel. I'm just, that was great. That was great. All right. Um, dear Maddie, this is from Laurel28. I really fell head over heels in love with the worst possible guy. Oh, Laurel, I've been there. That's not fun. Um, she says, we dated for four months and I felt like I was living in a movie, but then he went back to his ex and now they are engaged. I can't get past, uh, let me, I can't get past this and it's a month later. There's so much more crap he did, but I'm just tired of telling it. I want to think positive and move on, but I can't shake loose the desire to have him answer questions I have about him and the way he treated me before he just dropped off the face of the earth. How do I get past this? this when a part of me doesn't want to. This is from Laurel, age 28. Totally different realm. We're talking about breakup stuff now. Um, I've been there. I don't know your experience, Corey, but um, you're a very handsome guy with the shaved head. And you know, I don't know why anybody would break up with you, Corey. But um, I've been there. I've been there, Laurel. So I get that. Well, 
And, and so, Matt, uh, what I'll add is that on this one, uh, you probably have, uh, you know, it, well, I, I'd say you probably have as much uh, expertise as I do. And I don't mean because we've both been, you know, uh, hung up on somebody for, or what have you, but uh, just because my experience has been real world experience like everybody else's on both yeah. sides of the fence. And, you know, it could be a thing where even where I ultimately made the decision to split up with somebody, but I still, you know, there's a part of me still deep down that was regretful of it or, or you know sort of resented it and, and i've also been there on the fall for the wrong person i wrote a and, and this is not to outer because we're, we're finally communicating again as, as friends just online but i wrote a song actually called your jacob and put a video out about it and so it's not like it's hidden um, about this girl that i dated for a short amount of time uh, back in 2014 and uh and i knew we weren't right for each other and i knew that I'm not going to try to say bad or good because it's all perspective, but um, I had friends that are like, you know what, you know, she's the wrong person for you. And yet, even though I sort of in a lot of ways made the decision, we kind of both, I think, made it together, but I enforced it because I, I basically sent her a message and, and she hadn't communicated in a few days after we got back from a trip. And I kind of called her on it because she was communicating with everybody else online. And then that's when she sort of snapped at me. And then we, that basically was how we broke up. But even though I knew it was wrong for me, the relationship, and even though I knew we weren't a good fit, I struggled with that for three months. And, and I think, you know, and, and saying to myself, well, what did I do? I shouldn't have done that. And, and so at the end of the day, I mean, what did I do? I wrote a song about it. That was sort of some of my therapy. But at the end of the day, and I, I, interestingly enough, her mother was the one that said to her, I think that song's about you. And I was visiting her mother and she got me to play it for her, her whole family. At a, at a get together oh, wow. that I was invited to. And so it was kind of, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it all worked out. She actually has told people since that's a song about me, even though it's not a <laughs> flattering song, maybe we can put the link to the video since I've mentioned it all here. Yeah, totally. But saying that, Matt, I guess I bring that all up because I've been there multiple times. And so I guess my answer for me personally is I think really at the end of the day, you have to, there's two sides. You have to, no, because you've probably been there before. We Almost all of us have been there before if it's not our first breakup. You have to know that you will get out of this and pass this because you have in the past when you thought you couldn't. And then the second part, though, to it is it's probably a matter of time. You probably just have to live through it. Like, I, I lived through it with her. Even though I knew it was wrong, I still had those feelings. Why did I do this? I made a big mistake. So for me, I think it's first of all, you have to look at your past and say, I got through this before and I will again. And secondly, say, but if I can't move past the minutes, I have to just maybe plow through it and, and say, I'm going to feel this way for a bit until I don't. Yeah, I mean, if you, you have to feel it to heal it. You really do. And so and I think a lot, too, when these breakup things first happen, you, we want to kind of push away pain. Uh, and I'm not telling you, Laurel, to like, you know, sit in kind of your shit and like, make yourself get super depressed or suicidal or like really put, I don't want you to put yourself in a, in a dark place, but at the same time, I don't want you to, um, there's a balance of giving yourself time to do this. And for me, sometimes it might seem kind of clinical, um, or I don't know, cold, but I, I almost, for me, I, uh, I've given myself either time periods or days to kind of grieve. Like, let's say I'm in a place, and I really just am like I can't get out of my head and it's you know 11 a.m. and I'm like sitting there in my pajamas still and I'm like you know what what I asked myself okay Matt like if I was my own kind of therapist what would be a good amount of time for me to like kind of like just be sad 
at about this for, and ask myself these questions over and over. How long can I do this for? And I would say, well, you know, maybe I can do this. I'm going to give myself two more hours of this. I'm going to do it till one o'clock. But then at one o'clock, that's my time limit. And at one o'clock, I've got to get up. I've got to shower. I need to do the things I need to do today. And maybe then like, and either you can take it day by day or sometimes I've been like, you know what? On Wednesday, I'll even set a reminder on my phone. I'll be like on Wednesday at noon, I'm going to let myself like sit in the shit again and ask myself questions. It's like, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you? And the thing that's helpful to me about that is that sometimes when that reminder on my phone goes off, sometimes I'm either already there or I'm like, yes, I need to like obsess about this. But more often than not, I've found that like when I've let myself feel it and then kind of my time limit cut off and I go about my day, then when that reminder a couple of days later comes up on my phone, it's like, oh, you need to like, you need to be really upset at yourself about, you know, about Bobby right now. And I'm like, ah. I don't want to do that right now. And then I feel empowered because I'm able to make this choice of, I don't want to, I don't want to be really upset about this right now because I've got something else going on. And so it, and you know, it's just kind of like, it's it definitely grief is a day by day thing. And, uh, cause that's what this really is, Laurel. It's you're grieving really kind of the death of a relationship of what you thought it was going to be. And so, you know, there's definitely stages. Denial is a huge sta stage of that. And there's going to be other, I'm, probably you'll get angry and all those things before you come to acceptance. But I think it's just, you know, kind of going like what you were saying, Corey, about your first question about like small steps. I think it's the same thing too. Of not telling yourself, I need to get over this. But like, what's a small step? Like, okay, I cried about this four times today. Can I cry about this? And it's, let's, and it's Saturday. Well, by Tuesday, can I cry about this only three times? And that's huge. If you can do that, Laurel, that's huge. Yeah, and, and Matt, I will say too, uh, you know, from, it's such a great point that you mentioned. It's not even whenever I say, you know, at the end of the day, we also have to move through it. Like you just said, it's not, it depends too how much it's consuming you, but yeah. for me, as I mentioned, I, I have a passion that I, I follow. And so I did feel that hurt. I did feel like you say the grieving, but at the same time, I'm also doing things that I'm passionate about. So I was able to get some balance. And so what I'll do is when I'm sort of going through it, like you said, maybe I schedule a certain amount of time, but I also kind of go, okay, what can I replace some of this with? Meaning what, you know, if I, yes, say, if you I'll take it out, what, what do you put in? Yeah. So that it might be that, okay, I'm going to allow myself to do this, whatever that is today. I'm going to go hang out with my buddies and do this. And sometimes what happens is enough of those little bursts help me also work through it and not be sitting in it too much either. Exactly. Exactly. And Laurel, I'm, I'm just, it's hard. It's hard because we can't, we can't control other people and we can't control how they treat us. We can only try to, try to have some, and we can't even really control our reactions, but you can, uh, you can, you can't control your reaction, but you can control your actions. So try to, try to at least put in steps, Lord, to control your actions that will hopefully affect your behavior that therefore affect your emotions. So best of luck to you, Laurel. Obviously we both have been there. So um, best of luck to you. Um, Corey, that's it yeah. for questions. So now we're on to chatting Matty questions. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm super excited. I can't wait to uh, see this all unfold. You know, you know what it makes me think of? I mean, not necessarily the questions or anything like that, but the, the, the last sort of section and the, the, the 
chatty matty questions. It makes me think of the um, inside the actors studio when they. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Five questions anyway. So that I don't know. I that gets me excited. <laughs> I don't even know if that show's still on. Is it? Is James I, Lipton alive still? I think he is, right? I don't know the answer to either of those questions. I'll have to I'll have to Google that because I used to watch it a ton, but. These days, like so many, um, I, you know, I have the Apple box and all that stuff and I don't have cable anymore, which has yeah. been a big transition for me. But uh, that I used to watch that all the time on cable. So I'm not yeah. sure. I'm sure. I'm going to check that on my TiVo, see if it records. But, um, but all right. So Chatty Manning, number one, what's your most memorable childhood smell? Childhood smell. Let's see. Oh, wow. Um, probably. Okay. So this is, it's not a good smell and I suppose it doesn't matter. Um, but uh mac uh, mac and cheese i'm one of the i think one of the few people that's really not a fan and oh. so my, my memory is my mother used to cook it to the point where she got me sick of it and then i said this one day i remember my cousin was over and we didn't get a chance to hang out much he I, we were only like probably eight or he's he's 10 and i'm eight or whatever two years apart really young and i said oh my god mom i'm tired of this it always smells like shit and basically <laughs> She sent him home. It was like the first sleepover we probably had in four years. And we were only like six or eight. I don't know. Anyway, I, I never forget this. She sent him home. And I, I used to have this, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what's it called? Humpty Dumpty. I had this plastic Humpty Dumpty that holds my toys. But the toys were always over the floor. So I jumped in there and started crying. And I wouldn't come out because I was so bothered that my cousin couldn't sleep over. And I tried to fight it. And I didn't win. But anyway, that's my the smell. I still to this day, my girlfriend eats mac and cheese. and I. Oh, I can't even be in the same room. That is, well, that's memorable, and that's memorable, and that makes me so sad. I wish I hated mac and cheese. I'd be skinnier. That'd be nice. Most people, um, <laughs> most people don't. So, Chatty Matty number two, what would be the name of your memoir? Name of my memoir? Yeah, you know, that I would say, because, you know, it goes back to that passion thing we were talking about, so the easy answer would be fueled by vitamin P, and the P is for passion. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That's good, Corey Poirier. In, in fairness, uh, it, for a while, it was I toyed with it as a name of one of my talks. So it, it's sort of something that it's been boiling for a while. But yeah, that, that would be it. I love it. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. All right. What's the best piece of advice you wished you'd taken earlier in life? Can it be a piece of advice that I didn't take earlier, but I took later? Meaning, I, yeah, yeah, that's often people take it later in life and they wish they'd taken it earlier. Yeah. So it was pro probably from my grandfather. He gave me a lot of good advice that I didn't realize at the time was in my best interest. Um, so I'd say probably the biggest one is, and it was, he, he basically talked about working hard all the time, like, you know, getting up the whole idea of the early bird gets the worm and, uh -huh. and basically putting in, putting in, and this is how he kind of described it, but you might hate the job, but work at it like you love it because you get further ahead and you'll get further along. So it was a combination of this advice about working harder and working smarter, and then also working at something like you like it, even if you don't, because people will notice, and they'll also notice if you work at it like you hate it. <laughs> you know, they'll notice the difference between the two. So I wish I would have taken that advice earlier, because when I did, I seen such a difference, a positive change in my life, but I didn't take it right away because I was too young, or I felt it was too young. Mm. I've been there. I get that. I love that. Um, so chatting Manning number four, what day would be your groundhog day? So what day was so awesome? You're like, I could do that day again. So for me, and I don't know, Matt, I don't want anybody to 
in terms of take this wrong because you know you don't want somebody to be like well it's a cop-out answer or anything but for me now i'll say it this way it's it's a lot of the days that i live now and they're they're obviously always different but it's it's sort of a combination of things so i would actually if i like if i could type it in and say this is my groundhog day some of the components that would be in it is that um i i've, I've been lackluster in practicing yoga but i'm a really big fan so i would practice yoga i would meditate those would be kind of how i'd start my day i try to do that when i can uh read um a book an amazing book and i mean i have a big list of those meaning ones i've already read and ones i would read um spending time with my girlfriend and now my my new son who is in the oven while we were at oh, congratulations oh thank you so much that was the only reason she didn't come to anaheim is because he was in the oven so i, I would spend time with him and um, play some music. I mentioned guitar. So I would kind of do a lot of the things that theoretically, I, it wouldn't be abnormal for me to do today, if that, if that makes sense. So my grandma's feeling similar to what my days are now. That's pretty, that's a good, that's a good feeling. Well, it kind of tells me I'm on the right path. You know, yeah, whatever. Does tell you're on the right path. I always say if I'm writing a book with my life, and I always said, as long as I could feel comfortable that if I close the book today, I would be happy with the story. So if something happened to me tomorrow and I wasn't here, but I could I could look back and be happy with the story, then I've lived the right life. And I've, I've jokingly said that now I'm already into three or four volumes of a story that I can be happy with. Mm. So that's why I feel most days I would really live over what I've already, you know, what I already did the day before. I love that. I love that. And well, and last question, that's a good segue. When are you most inspired? When so it's not a time of day, you know. So when some people say I'm I'm better in the morning, I'm better at night, yeah. all that kind of stuff. For me, it's it's really whenever I seek inspiration. So uh, that could be watching a TEDx talk, but I it won't necessarily watch it at seven in the morning. It could be you know I just could randomly say, okay, I'm going to watch a TEDx talk today, and and yeah. if it went on, or it could be listening to a podcast that I love, or or um, reading a book, and, and so I get inspiration from those sources and then also interviewing people so when I interview people you know I interviewed a guy named Rick Hansen who um, had this tour called the man in motion years ago him and Terry Fox were friends and Rick uh, had a wheelchair in, or had sorry a car accident and ended up in a wheelchair at 15 and he ended up um, I forget the numbers but toured across I don't know how many miles it was but basically across the country I think a couple of times uh, of Canada, pretty large country, and raised money, something like $700 million. I don't know, it's crazy numbers anyway. And uh, he put on this Man in Motion tour. And so I asked him because everybody says, oh, he's, he was just born inspired. So I asked him and he said, no, he said like, Terry Fox and I, when Terry was alive, we used to call each other each day and inspire each other. Or he said, I would go to an event and there's a kid that's younger than me with the same uh, same ailment. And he's full of life and that inspires me. So I'm much the same, Matt, it's that I basically, get inspiration, not when I seek it out, but whenever um, I have somebody that I'm interviewing or I'm reading something. So it's when I'm, I'm basically allowing myself to be in front of uh, something that's, that's basically an inspiring message and I take it in. Mm. Which that, is cool. I think that's how I get, yeah, that is cool. Cause it can be a self-empowering you. If you know, oh, I need to get inspired. You know the actions you can take to get inspired. Absolutely. That's what, that's exactly what I was going to say in the sense that, you know, if you know, like if I know that I can go to a TEDx talk and get inspired, I also know that means if I'm not getting inspired by one in five minutes, I can literally switch it off and put on another one. But I know that I can feed myself some inspiration. Whereas somebody who's saying, 
man, I can't get, you know, I can't get a smile on my face. That's a major struggle, you know, and you might have to take some strategies, but mine is a lot easier because here's the key thing. And I didn't know this when I started, but once you start building up your inspiration, you then have kind of a built in, a built in systems. Like you might have a month of inspiration already built inside. So that means when I get hit with something hard, it doesn't take me down as much as it would have had I not built up that inspiration. So it's kind of like I'm making deposits in my inspiration tank. But I know I can always go to Zig Ziglar's Facebook page and read a quote, or I can go to a certain book, or I can watch a TEDx talk and get more of that. Mm, I love that. I love that. I just decided I'm airing this episode for people listening. I'm going to air it in the new year. I think this is a good week, to, good episode to air the first week of the new year, because I know a lot of people are talking about resolutions and stuff like that. So, because I know I'm feel, feeling inspired about things that I can, action steps I can take to just make my life better and make my year the year I want it to be. So, um, so yeah, Corey, Corey Poirier, tell everybody where they can find you on a, I know they can find you at CoreyPoirier.com and that's C O R E Y P as in as in passion. O I R I E R. So CoreyPoirier.com. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And the second place, if when we were talking about uh, speaking, if somebody's wanting to overcome that fear or wanting to just learn more about speaking in uh, in any capacity, whether it's the skill set or overcoming the fear or how do I earn money doing it if you're already doing it, uh, thespeakingprogram.com the is where I would send people. So again, thespeakingprogram.com. And Matt, with your permission, I'll, uh, again, maybe that's the Canadian in me, but um, I'll add one tiny quick thing as well, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, so you mentioned New Year's resolutions. Uh, if somebody's listening to this, let's say in the third or fourth of January, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a, it's kind of cool if you run it the first week because rather than running, say, December 31st, because the strategy I'll give people, as we know, most people quit their resolutions, sadly. And yeah. so I tried to study why I think that happens. And I really think it comes down to this. Most of us believe inherently that it takes at least 21 days to create a habit. I've heard a lot of science that says it's even more than that, but let's say 21 days, so three weeks. But we also know most studies show that people quit their New Year's resolution in two weeks. So I think we can do simple math and say the reason most people don't make it with the resolution is it hasn't become a cemented habit yet. Yeah. So what I would say is first yeah. and foremost, don't start it on January 1st because that automatically is a recipe for disaster. We know internally most people quit them, so it makes it an easy out. So the good news is if you're listening, uh, if, you started, if you haven't started yours yet and you're listening to the, us right now on January 3rd, you're already okay that way. So first of all, don't start January 1st. Start the second. It doesn't matter. Just don't, There's so much hype built around the first. Plus, most people had a big night before. Why would you want to start dieting when you're hungover the next day? So, yeah, that's not fun. No. So start it on, like I say, any other day other than the, than the first. And then secondly, once you get close to that two-week mark and you know each year you quit around that timeline, what you want to do is give yourself a really good reward because you know, now that you're hearing this, that if you can make it past that three-week mark, you have a much better chance of sticking with it. So get it past the, the habit mark and your odds are much better of it taking than if you just let it do your normal thing, start in the first and quit two weeks later. So give yourself a reward and then get yourself whatever it takes past that hump of three weeks and see if you, you see if you actually have a ch better chance of it sticking this year. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Y'all are just, y'all are getting it. They are getting this episode. Corey Poirier, thank you so much. Now, where can people find you on social media if they're into that? Uh, that so that's fairly easy. The good news is my name's not common. So if you type in Corey Poirier, key thing is put the E in Corey. But if you type in Corey Poirier on Google, it might be the easiest way because 
I could literally say, okay, go on Facebook under this, go on. But it's pretty much, if you look in my name, look up my name on Google and social media, whichever one you want to find me on, that's probably your shortest path. Or you can just type in Corey Poirier into LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Those are the four that I'm on regularly. All righty. And we will put, and I'll have the links to that in the show as well. Corey, thank you so, so much for just for being just awesome, being you, being kind, being authentic and sharing this time with me. And uh, uh, I, I wish the best 2018 to you and for other people listening, I wish the best 2018 for you and that it's a, a year of growth and learning and love and kindness. So thank you so much, Corey, for being here today. Thank you, Matt. Like I said, it's been my pleasure. All right. We'll see. And as you know, everybody, do something for someone this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Well, Sugars, that's it. We are we're heading into this new year with some, hopefully, if you don't have some positivity, hopefully you've listened to this episode, and Sugars, you've got some. Because, and you know, I used to tell a lot of my therapist clients that would come to me, and they weren't feeling hopeful about their present or about their future, and I would say, you know... If you don't feel hopeful, you can borrow some of mine. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, damn, I'm just trying to do the best I can and it's not working, borrow my hope, really. Know that I have hope for you. You can use my hope for as long as you want. And and then one day you're not going to need it anymore. And I hope you give that hope to someone else because um, even some of you that are listening, I haven't even met you, but I do... I do care about you because I know that you care about me and you listen to the show and you tweet me and at the Matt Mar, you go to my website, dearmattyshow.com and you email me and it, it means the world to me. It means the world to me. So in this year of 2018, let's connect more, let's love more and let's be inspired more. And I'm just, I'm excited now. I'm excited for the year to come and I hope you are too. And if you're not, I hope I can get help get you there. All right. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Bye.